Hey, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 1 Samuel. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. This is her, her request, her challenge, and I would even say more so her counsel. She's actually trying to give David insight. Hey, look, man, the guy is a fool. Because he's a fool doesn't mean you need to act foolishly. This is part of the, the counsel in the lesson. The guy's a fool doesn't mean you have to be a fool. Don't reduce yourself to this, David. You know, this is what the implication is. The Lord has so far held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm from my Lord be as Nabal. They're just, just going to be fools. And now, this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. So say, okay, I brought this stuff. You guys can go have the feast, man. Everything's cool. I just want to give this to you guys. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Now, she's got insight now, doesn't she? Spiritual insight into really who David is. Interesting. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles for the Lord, of the Lord, excuse me. And evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord, your God. She says, man, I know that God is with you. I know that God's watching out over you. I know the things that the, the campaigns you're out on in battles, you're fighting on behalf of the Lord. I, I, I acknowledge that. And the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. Kind of interesting. That's something he might identify with, huh? I mean, she knows something about who he is. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you ruler over Israel. Says, you know, you're going to be king one of these days. This is radical. I mean, she's just stating all of these things that he knows is what God has done. And she's reiterating this stuff back to him. That this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. She's just saying, hey, look it, man. He's a fool. Let it go. God's going to deal with him. Don't avenge it. In other words, because he's a fool doesn't mean you need to sin. I, I think that's important. I think that's, that's part of the significance of, of the message for us. Because remember, we saw this is what happened. David had this great victory. Now, all of a sudden, the enemy, you know, in a sense, has come and is trying to do this character assassination on him in this way and get him to fall prey to doing something and fall into sin for something just that's foolish. The whole thing is. 
And then she says, remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to me. He acknowledges, you know what, man? It's, yeah, you did what you've done kind of seemingly in the natural sense, but you know what? I acknowledge this, that this is, you are a messenger sent from God. I think it's because he actually listened to what she was saying. He actually listened to what her heart, as she said, hear me, hear what I'm saying. And she, he listened to her, and he got good insight and good directions. Then David said to Abigail, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. He says, man, I was going to wipe them all out, and because you've stepped in and you've spoken your peace, this has been godly, I've, I've received the counsel. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, go in peace, your house. See, I have, in, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. I think that's really cool. You know, I listened to what you said, and I respect what you said. It was right. It was good, godly counsel. What's interesting to me is out of everything she said, all she really did was state the obvious. All of this was, was kind of known truth amongst the land. The common people knew David was going to rule and reign. The common people wanted that. Saul just had a grip on things still. But the people knew that David, you remember, they would sing songs about Saul had killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. They had a lot of respect for who David was. But David wasn't going to go into some foolish overthrow of the kingdom. And now, fortunately, he didn't do some foolish thing against Nabal. Now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, look at this guy, holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. He had a high value of who he thought he was. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. He was just there partying. This guy's just one messed up dude. That's, that's all he's doing. He's just there partying and carrying on. So it was in the morning, verse 37, when the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him and he became like a stone. So whether he had some type of a heart attack or a stroke or something, but he just shut down basically, physically. And then it happened after about 10 days of this, you know, like this, that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. So ultimately just, that was it. So within 10 days of this event going like this, he dies. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has turned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. And when his servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David has sent uh, us to you to ask you to become his wife. And she arose and bowed her face to the earth and said, There, here is your maidservant. 
a servant uh, to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maids, maidens. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. So David took Ahinoam of uh, Jezreel. So both of them were his wives. Look at in verse 44. But Saul had given um, Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galam. So Saul has taken David's wife, that what was his wife, you remember, uh, one of his daughters, took the, and gave, it, gave her to somebody else. And now David's got um, Abigail and this other gal. Now this is not, again, we can't go into this whole big deal of it, but it's not condoning polygamy. It's not condoning multiple wives. This was culturally something that went on, but God's, you know, not, Jesus straightened it all out when we got into the New Testament and made it very clear. It was something that gradually was to be purged out of their, their culture. It was not something that was something that God ordained. It was not something that God purposed. As far as multiple wives, that was not something that God uh, had for his people. One man, one woman constitutes a marriage, Biblically, one man and one woman constitutes marriage. God's design, biblically, is one man, one woman for a lifetime. That, that's the biblical design. Now, I know we live in a world where that doesn't always go that way. I understand that. But that's God's design. There's good CDs. We've got good t- CD teachings on that. We've gone through it. What is the heart of God? What is the reality of how that goes? You know, we live in a fallen world. It doesn't always go the way we'd like to, to you know, I'm just telling you. That's the ideal. That's God's design. But it doesn't always go that way. And I know that. Well, the same is true with this situation as we see it. And they've got the multiple wives. But I think as we kind of wrap this thought up, I mean, it was a lot of stuff to read tonight and a lot to, you know, the story just kind of tells its own storyline for the most part. She intercedes on behalf of not only herself, but steps in on behalf of her husband, steps in, pleads with the king that the king would be merciful. The thing is, is when you look at Nabal, he, he was not repentant at all. He had no desire or heart for the things of God whatsoever. And you can see the end result of what happened with the guy. He's just taken out of the way. He's taken out of the picture. David's response, blessed be the Lord, who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. He says, man, I'm glad I didn't do this. Now, what a lesson to learn for the future king of Israel that governed by God and that God can take care of, God can fight and deal with his own battles. God can right the wrongs. God can deal with these things. Man, it is so easy to grab a hold of things and to try and deal with those matters ourselves instead of just giving room for God to work. I balance that up against sometimes where Moses is there with, with the Lord and, and he, he's you know, still in this prayerful state of mind and, and the Lord just doesn't, Moses isn't time to pray, it's time to move. It's time to get, get on it and get action and get your stuff get going. You know? And you've got to kind of balance sometimes, I think, these concepts 
so we don't just get lopsided. This is what's great about going through the word together. Is when you go through the word, you're not taking a part apart from the whole. You're not just grabbing this one thought and just living, only thinking about this one thought, but you're taking all of these things as life lessons and learning them and being able to apply them. Because this idea of allowing for room for God to work or God's uh, uh, vengeance, you know, in that sense, letting God be God in a situation— doesn't always mean your navel situation, that person's going to be struck dead. So if that's what you're hoping for, it may not go that way, you know? So you got to be realistic. It might not go like that. You got to understand that, hey, a lot of these situations, you know, you pray, you leave it in the hands of the Lord, you let God deal with it. But the key for us is actually leaving room for God to move. When we get all up in it all and all around it and in it and on it and all caught up in it, well, there's no room for God to work. Sometimes we got to just step back and let God be God in a situation. Let God work out those details. Let God straighten out that situation. Now, I don't see David, nor do I see Abigail in this situation, condoning Nabal's foolishness. Do you see that? So we didn't see them, him you know, uh, condoning that, but it was actually, on the contrary, being challenged and stated as such. Hey, this is foolishness. It was being identified for what it was. Now, you see why I brought up Ananias and Sapphira, for example. In that situation, Sapphira should have, by the time, you know, that came down to her, when she asked a question, she should have answered honestly. See, I think Abigail would have answered honestly. You get what I'm saying? That's, that's the difference of the, of the, yes, we're all in it together, you know, is spousally and all that stuff. But, man, we got to call things for what they are. You know, this is why David sought back out after her was because, not just because she was an attractive woman, but also because of her godliness. Because, man, he really saw great characteristics in who she was, and he sought that out. This is someone that's of value, and he respected that. And he even said that he respected who she was. This is the thing. Part of what I'm, I'm driving at is this. Husbands and wives, for example— Oftentimes, the approach to what needs to be said in the arena of rational thinking, you got to make sure you're all in the same arena, okay? If everybody's all upset and angry or whatever, it's not probably going to be the best time to get into that and get all into some hyper-spiritual discussion, Sometimes it may be. Maybe just some, you know, zap, we need some God in the middle of this is not always a bad thing either. But a lot of times, timing matters. You know, I think we're learning about that. Timing matters. When you discuss things, I think, and I think, ladies, you owe it to your husbands to be very honest. Very honest. You know, I think that was a pretty foolish decision. I think that's right sometimes, gals. I think sometimes you, you just need to be honest about that. But I also think, as we see, the significance of how she also, though, was very respectful of who David was. Isn't it interesting in the New Testament where it says, husbands, love your wives, and it says, women, respect, basically, your husbands? 
It's an interesting thing because husbands, you can't tell your wife, and I know you're going to tell me, I told her when we were at the altar, I loved her, and I don't know why she needs to keep hearing it over and over again. Yeah, I get it. But the reality is they do, and you just better get over it and start saying it. Um, but the idea of, of conveying that, our wives need to hear that repetitively, that, that we love them, and we need to do things that display that love. But you know what? You know what for us is a display of love towards us is that they're respecting now, respecting, I don't think, is going along with every harebrained idea we come up with, okay? Respecting is sometimes just saying, hey, listen, um, have you really thought through that all the way on this, you know? Because that's, that's, I'm not so sure, you know? And just ask, be open. But if you jump in the driver's seat and you're trying to steer everything and control everything, and man, it's going to go haywire. It's going to get out of balance, biblically speaking. I'm telling you, ladies, I, I know I, can get, I could get a lot of bad email from this. I could get a lot of bad press from this in a lot of ways, but I am telling you straight, this is a biblical truth. If you try and control it, this is part of the curse. Your desires for your man, and it's not just to be with him. That word, go back and study it closely. That word in Genesis is part of the curse is that you desire to actually have mastery. It's not just to be with it's not just as I wish you would give me more time. Oh, yeah, it's that, but it's a lot more than that. It's actually for an element of dominance. Now, in the New Testament, for us as New Testament believers, we're equal in the Lord. I think it's very important for each of us to look at our spouses and know, hey, that is the king's daughter. My wife, but it's also my master, the Lord's daughter. And I should treat her as, with respect in that way, too. That's where the give and take and the listening to one another and having healthy interaction. I've just found that I've observed a lot of times, because there's such misconception about submission and all that stuff, that it's just horrible, you know, because of the misconception of that. But it says, be ye submitted one to another, <laughs> doesn't it? One to another. But I still think, men, that we should lead the way God intended for us to lead, and we should lead in such a way that we have wives that want to follow our lead. And wives, you need to let your husband lead. Even if he makes a few mistakes, it's okay. Let him lead. Let him lead. You're going to find yourself to be so blessed in that. It's God's way. It's God's design. And so there's this idea of interaction— do you see how Abigail approached? And she laid it all out. She laid it all out for him. But in so doing, allowed him still the ability to make a good decision. See, if you're just forcing it and trying to make the decision, then you're really not leaving him opportunity to make the decision, and therefore you're emasculating him. We are living in a society that is emasculating men. And I, I, I'm not for it. I think a man is a man and a woman is a woman. And are, there are, I'm very clear, there's distinctive differences. And it's good. There should be. And I know, ladies, some of you are probably much more spiritual than most of us could ever dream of being as guys. And I understand that. But for whatever reason, I also know what happened in the garden. Why was she left by herself? I'm not perfectly clear on all of what happened, but I know what happened. 
The woman was deceived with the thought of having a higher sense of spirituality in that sense. And you go back and read through that, and you can see it. And the balance of us kind of knuckleheaded guys is we kind of bring in a leveling balance sometimes. And in so doing, we create a great level field to function in. It's healthy. It's good. It's God's design. Again, I encourage you to argue with the Lord if you don't care for it, because I didn't write the plan. I didn't write the book. God wrote the book, but I'm an adherent, and I found to be, to be very fruitful and productive. And I think, guys, man, one of the things I love about David in this particular picture is David listened. And he respected her person. I think that's really awesome. He listened. He heard her. He, he, not Not just that Charlie Brown thing, but actually heard her heart what she was saying, what she was conveying, because that was a full, that was a big, he was charged up, man. He was, he was ready to go lop some heads off, right? And what a calming force. And how was it? She took the road of humility. And you know what's interesting? You may think, well, you know, I'm not doing that. Oh, 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 as a Christian, really? No, I'm not, I'm, no, no way, you know, I'm not going to do, oh, wow. Jesus who did not consider it robbery to be made equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, humbled himself, ultimately, even to the point of death on the cross, humbled himself. Philippians, Paul tells us this. And then he goes on and says, have this mind in you. You want to know the mind of Christ? You just heard it. That kind of humility. Man, can you imagine if we all, you know, in our, in our homes, in our lives, treated one another with that kind of humility that we saw with, with Abigail? you imagine the great ground we could cover in the Lord spiritually and the focus that we could have on good things, you know, bonding together for good things, to see God fulfill his purpose, the advantages we would have in preventing one another from, from making foolish decisions. You know, because David was because of a foolish guy was going to make a foolish decision, remember? And how God can help us. This is Pastor Jim. You know, I know as we listen to the Word, oftentimes the Spirit begins to convict us. And you know, Jesus said He's the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through Him. You know, it is very exclusive, Christianity is, and I know that offends some, but it's also all-inclusive in that Anyone who would give their life to Jesus can have everlasting life, but it is exclusive in the sense that Jesus said he is the way, the only way to have everlasting life. If the Lord's tugging on your heart just now, 
Would you open the door and let him in? Just pray this simple prayer of faith along with me now. While you're driving or, or wherever you are, uh, whatever you're doing, sitting in front of a computer, wherever you are, whether it's through the internet or through the airwaves, I just encourage you right now to open your heart to Jesus and begin that new life. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Jesus, I want to ask you to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sin, to be my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for the newness of life that I have in you, and I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that my life might be pleasing to you and give you glory. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. And if you're social media savvy, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash calvarychapelkc. Also, Living Fountains podcasts are available in the iTunes store now, and you can download them at no cost. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, we meet in Overland Park on Sunday mornings. The service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com or you can simply contact the church office at 913-681-1635. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains.